Let's read from God's word from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, sorry, Isaiah chapter 49, 42, 1 to 9. It's page 717 in your Red Pew Bibles. Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. Till he establishes justice on earth, In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See. The former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The word of the Lord. Formerly, the season of Lent, or the season of the cross, is the six weeks leading up to the celebration of Easter. It's a season of repentance, and reflection and a way to prepare for the celebration of the resurrection. But inside that formally there is an actually and the actually is that Lent is a time to slow down, to re-enter in a purposeful way with Jesus and his journey to Jerusalem to the cross and to take the time to set our hearts and our minds back into the way and the meaning of Jesus and that death on the cross. It's a season to to remind ourselves and that we don't always completely understand the purposes of God in Jesus Christ. It's a time to humble ourselves and to admit that that sometimes our ways and our desires and our purposes don't always line up with God's story in Jesus and his emerging kingdom. And so Lent is a period of discipleship that invites Christians, invites disciples to realign themselves with the gospel as it is communicated to us through Jesus. It's the time to realize that 
we're often tempted to make God into our image and to shape God according to our desires and our needs. A time to recognize that sometimes the Savior that we want, the good news that we want, the salvation-shaped way that we want is not necessarily God's gift to us in Jesus Christ, that there's a readjustment, a realignment, a conversion that needs to take place. And so we humble ourselves to re-enter into this situation. And one of the things that we do in a season like Lent is something that maybe we could call re-resourcing. We not only humble ourselves to the story, but we humble ourselves to resources from our faith, resources in the church that are able to somehow take us somewhere that we aren't able to get on our own by our best desires and our deepest commitments on our own strength. Last year, you remember that we relied deeply on the resourcing of a master preacher and theologian named Fleming Rutledge, who actually preached here in our church, along with publishing a book of 800 or so pages, uh, the Christianity Today Church, our book of the year, entitled The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus. And one of the things that we learned from Fleming's book as we followed her guidance in our preaching and teaching here at Knox is that we were challenged to recognize that the meaning and the results of Jesus' death on the cross were much deeper and wider than most of us understand and most of us think about. That there's an enormous effect released by God in creation and around the world because of Jesus' death on the cross. And we took that season of Lent in order to reacquaint ourselves with that grand vision. One of the things that, that Fleming assumed is because the death of Jesus was so gruesome and so awful, so horrific, as she argues, that there must be some deeper and wider purpose of God in such a horrific and drastic death as a crucifixion on a Roman cross. This year in the season of Lent, we're resourcing ourselves according to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah's vision is wide-ranging. It is a deep and wide, multi-layered ministry that Isaiah has. Isaiah for lack of a better way of saying it, paints on a big canvas. And Isaiah's parallel, maybe in the New Testament, is the gospel writer John. It's John who's able to say that the coming of Jesus is for the whole world. It's for everyone. It's for everyone who was and for everyone who will be. It is a message that affects not just you and me and our personal salvation and our little group of people. For John, the canvas is the world. And Isaiah and John come together because they realize that this is about the distant islands. This is about the Gentiles, not just the Jews. 
that this coming of the light into the world through Jesus is for everyone. And it's John who's able to use language and theological imagination in such a way to be able to say that the word became a human being and lived with us. And in that same motivating and surprising way, Isaiah is able to draw into detail and to describe the character and the heart of God's way in the world. And so we'll coming to Isaiah in order to receive this gift, in order to, to mull over Isaiah's message and to allow Isaiah to speak to us, hopefully by God's spirit in new and fresh and deepening ways. Isaiah has a really special and unique gift inside his prophecy. Centuries before Jesus, Isaiah has a series of what are called servant songs. And they articulate Isaiah's understanding of Israel's Messiah. The person who God has chosen to come and to renew Israel and to be a light to the Gentiles, to save the entire world. And there's these series of these songs that are very focused on somebody identified as the servant. We, we've looked previously at Knox just several weeks ago at the image of Jesus, our good shepherd. For Isaiah, Jesus is the suffering servant. It's a kind of a guiding metaphor. It's a picture, it's a theme that is close to Isaiah's imagination and he believes communicates who God is and what God is doing in the world through Jesus and his servanthood. And there's several of these servant songs that we're going to look at them each week, beginning today with the servant song that was Karen read for us in Isaiah 42. And so we slow down, we take a look at Isaiah and we humble ourselves to the good news in Isaiah. As a kind of a, a scripture formation activity today, in order to introduce us or reintroduce us to Isaiah's voice, let me just share some of Isaiah's insights for you. Some of them will be so familiar and beautiful in that way. Others of them will be surprising. And for some of you, you may say, I didn't realize that Isaiah is the one who said that. But listen to the good news through Isaiah's voice. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. 
and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child who will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah's vision. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom of the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort everyone who mourns and to provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isaiah's vision. Did you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young people stumble and fall, but those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk but not faint. Isaiah's vision. And it continues. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money or without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and satisfy your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me and listen so that you might live. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Then I heard a voice saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me, Isaiah. And so much more. Isaiah is one of those prophets and one of those places in the scripture when you think to yourself, where, I think that might be in the Psalms, where in the world did that beautiful, powerful notion and phrase come from? Often we find it in Isaiah. 
And so Isaiah, for some reason in God's purposes, is given this message, given this ministry, given this mission to speak about God's Messiah in terms of the framework of our suffering servant. These songs start off right away in Isaiah 42. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This, this passage has a few layers of Isaiah's vision. Um, the one that we've maybe already touched on is that, that it has this world-embracing canvas that Isaiah is prophesying into. He sees the coming of Israel's Messiah as not only the deliverer of Israel, but the savior of the world. It's a revolutionary prophecy for Israel listening to this for the first time. This notion that a local God, the God of Israel, is the God of the universe. He's the God who created us, the God of creation, the God of the skies and the scar and the water, that everything there is, is Israel's God. A second theme in Isaiah's opening image of the servant is that the, the ministry is focused on justice. Something that Isaiah repeats in many of the passages that I read earlier and that's repeated a few times in this passage. Another characteristic of Isaiah's description is this personal intimacy. This isn't a political platform. This isn't a set of the greatest ideas that human beings have come up with over time. This isn't so much a philosophy of life. This is a person, my servant, whom I uphold, who I've chosen, in whom I delight. This is very personal language. This is parent-child language. This is intimate friendship, intimate relationship. This is people who know one another better than they know themselves kind of language. And so we have this emphasis on justice. We have this grand perspective of the whole world and we have this unique personal touch in the midst of this. But what I'd like you to, to think about the most today, to isolate our thinking, is caught in the middle of this passage. He will not cry or shout or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. There's something beautiful in that. If the, if the perspective is the mission, the world, the universe, the creation, if the messenger is the person of the Messiah, my servant who I have called, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased, something about the shape of the ministry is what is being described in those few verses. And what's being said, there's the imagery of a bruised reed who will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. These are the images of insignificance. 
The idea of, uh, of, a, um, of, of a reed, of a shoot, of something small and insignificant, he's not just going to chop that down. This idea of a smoldering wick, something that might have been at one time a really powerful, influential flame, but has maybe grown tired or weak or discouraged over time. And it would just be easy just to snuff that out, to ignore that, to just put that out and just to start new. No, no, this messenger doesn't do that. In fact, this messenger does the opposite. This messenger is concerned for the bruised reeds. This messenger is concerned for the smoldering wicks. And Isaiah's emphasis is precisely on ministry to people who are blind, who are in prison, who are brokenhearted. Instead of sort of forgetting the weak and the peripheral, instead of writing off those who we are so tempted to forget. No, Isaiah's messenger goes to those people and makes those people the center of the mission. All this talk about kingship and glory is very deeply connected in Isaiah's vision to those people who require a gentle touch to those people who require our kindness. That's what Isaiah is getting at. The Messiah is going to come for God's glory, but he's going to come with a gentle touch. As one commentator says about these verses, the intention is to create a cumulative emphasis on a quiet, unaggressive, unthreatening ministry. This is who God's servant is and how that servant is going to conduct himself in the world with gentleness and with kindness. And added to that, with patience. Day in and day out, decade in, century in and out. Justice which means the setting right of for life for those people who most of us would forget. The setting right of those people, the feeding of those people, the visiting of those people, the healing of those people, the setting free of those people, those very people that culturally and even politically we're tempted to forget are the people who are at the center of Isaiah's servant's ministry. This should be a great encouragement to us that the servant is not going to give up. Doesn't it seem sometimes when it comes to justice, when it comes to the making of things right, when it comes to the inequity and the inequality and the ignoring that goes on as kind of the status quo of our world today, to think that for Isaiah, this messenger sent by God to Israel and to the distant islands, to the whole world, is not going to falter. Is not going to become discouraged. Is not going to forget us. 
is not going to get onto a new project and get distracted from his true calling, which is to the bruised weeds, reeds and the smoldering wicks of the world. He's not going to forsake the poor. He's not going to stop visiting those who are imprisoned. He's not going to stop and avoid entering into death and sickness. He's going to go right to the brokenhearted and to bind up their broken hearts. In conjunction with this passage, it reminds me so much of a book that I've just become familiar with by an English theologian, John Swinton, who is both a theologian and a registered nurse, a PhD in theology and a certified registered nurse in the area of mental health in particular, and a professor. He's written a lovely, lovely book called Becoming Friends of Time. Disability, Timefulness, and Gentle Discipleship, it's called. And at the center of it, Swinton encourages us that Jesus' ministry was to slow down, to take time, and to learn and to recognize the strangeness and to receive living with God's unique time. Swinton calls us to be patient in the way of Isaiah's servant, to be gentle, and to be timefully converted to spending time with people who do not have the physical or the social or the intellectual resources that we might identify as normal or average. And what he argues at the center of his book is that when we are with people who are in need in that way, they operate on a different kind of time. The way that they access their day, the way that they access their space, the way of what they're into and see as significant and what they aren't that interested in and don't seem to be drawn to, which is sometimes the very opposite. And what Swinton says is being with such people for the sake of the gospel actually changes us as the messenger or the minister or the caregiver or the neighbor or the healer. Something in us is transformed in the way of Jesus, in the way of the gospel, when we slow down and humble ourselves to the needs of those who Jesus calls us to. And when I think about Isaiah and his gentleness and his kindness and the way that he offers us that transformation in the way of God's servant, and when I think of the slowing down of time, I think of our friends, Jim and Ruta, and their daughter, Larissa, and their son, Luke. Larissa, who was a nurse, happily married, living the life and the dream on the West Coast, while her parents are in Scarborough with their youngest, Luke, who is severely disabled, has intellectual and speech disabilities, and 
These are, these are fancy people. Jim was a, a fancy, well-paid, influential executive in a huge company in Ontario for many, many years. Both of them, Ruta and Jim, are masters prepared at the university, both really talented and really smart. Country clubbers, in a way. But there's something about them when you enter into their home, when you sit down with a meal, when you share a drink in the summer in their backyard. There's something about them that's different. And what it is, is that they exude a kind of a gentleness and a kindness because they chose a long time ago not to institutionalize their son. And to have him live right in the center of their family as their beloved child and to care for him with everything that that implies. When I go to a place for dinner, it's just a fair warning, like I'd like to eat within you know, 15 minutes of just sort of getting there, you know, you just like to do that. But the, the, the dehants, and mostly because I'm trying to cut down on hors d'oeuvres, that's, I mean, that's a part of it. But the, the dehants, when you go to their home, it can take a long time because they're working with Luke and cooking and trying to catch up with you and their whole schedule. I mean, to think that these are, that Jim was a senior VP for a huge company for years, just to see him in his home, just humbling himself to the patterns and the pace of his son. It is the gospel right in your face, right in your table. It is the servant that Isaiah is talking about because they have chosen not to, ex to ignore that, that bent reed or that smoldering wick. Instead, they've invited their son to the center of their lives. They take so much time to communicate with him. They take so much time to coax him to the table and if he doesn't want to come, they take so much time to let him eat in his room. But they're also beautiful advocates of justice. They bought the house right next door to them. And they converted that house into a home for Luke and his friends. In order to give him dignity as a young adult, in order to help him on his continual training as a human being, in order to honor him and to bless him, they've invited others who struggle with mental and physical disability into that home where they live in community, where they have a program, where they go out and do stuff, where they have their jobs that they're involved in. And this is the connection for me with the haunts of making something that is so terribly wrong in the world, so broken, so unfortunate, except with gentleness and patience, they're advocates of justice in their own way. They're making things right for human beings who are created in the image of God and loved by God. 
and they put their own skin, their own money, and their own time, and their own schedules, and their own priorities in the game. This is what Isaiah is seeing about the servant. This is the vision that Isaiah starts with. Not justice as political program so much. Not justice as philosophy of life. But justice making it right with the people that most of us can easily ignore and who interfere with our schedules, and who interfere with our meal plans, and who interfere with our conversations. The Apostle Paul, of course, picks up on Isaiah's vision of the servant in speaking of the Messiah. When he says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others more than you value yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus is going to be a king in any way, he is going to be a king in humility, in justice, in gentleness, in patience, and in service. And Isaiah leads us to the servant Jesus, and Jesus transforms people's lives so that we can see Isaiah's vision in the way that they choose in the way that they serve, and the way that they love. That's good news for us in a world that forgets people. It's good news for us in a world that forgets God. It's good news for us that Isaiah's Messiah has come in the form of a servant so that we too can find our true calling as servants. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the prophet Isaiah, visioning and praying and writing so many years ago. We thank you for the creative, inspirational gifts 
that the Spirit laid on his mind and his heart. And we pray during this Lenten journey that you would take that vision, that you would take that inspiration, that you would plant it deep in our hearts in transforming ways. We thank you that Jesus is the one who has fulfilled Isaiah's vision. And we thank you that because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, that we too can find our place in the world and in your kingdom as true servants of one another. May the Holy Spirit work in our church and in our hearts and amongst brothers and sisters around the world and across denominations this season to transform your people into servants for the sake of the world, for the sake of the distant islands, for the sake of the poor and the brokenhearted, for the sake of those who are imprisoned, for the sake of those who are blind. Do this work in our midst, we pray, and help us to recognize that this is our true calling. In Jesus' name, amen.